This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, the show all about your legal rights and your questions about the law. Good morning. I'm Greg Mayer, sitting in, and sitting in again for your regular host, Liz Gill, who's going to be back next week. And I'm joined, as always, by Professor Richard Gershon at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Our special guest today is Kevin Fry, an attorney in Oxford, Mississippi. With the holiday season in full swing, a lot of people are traveling, and a lot of celebrations are taking place. Law enforcement officers are out in force to help keep us safe. But what do you do if you find yourself on the wrong side of a traffic stop? What if you made a mistake and aren't sure if you've had too much to drink before you got behind the wheel? What are your rights and what should you do? We'll talk to Kevin about these issues and more. We'd love for you to join the conversation. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We'll be right back after the news. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Support for NPR comes from Little Passports, a subscription service for kids where every month they can explore a new country. Packages arrive in the mail filled with activities, souvenirs, maps, and stickers. Learn more at littlepassports.com radio. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, along with Professor Richard Gershon at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Our special guest today is Kevin Fry, an attorney in Oxford, Mississippi. This morning, we're going to talk about your rights and what you should do if you find yourself stopped by law enforcement this holiday season. And we'll talk about any other legal issues you may have on your mind. We'd love for you to join our conversation. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Good morning, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Greg. And before I introduce Kevin, I wanted to say how grateful I am to your having served uh, as the guest host on this show for several weeks. And we never had a chance to introduce you, but uh, Greg is a summa cum laude graduate of, of the University of Mississippi School of Law, and that is the highest honors, and was also editor-in-chief of our law journal and uh a distinguished practicing lawyer. So I wanted to throw that in there uh, before we let you go. And then uh, let me introduce Kevin Fry, who is our guest this morning. Kevin is an expert in criminal law here in Oxford. Uh, he's also the president of the Lafayette County Bar Association. He is a county supervisor for Lafayette County, and he's on the vestry of St. Peter's. A very busy person, and we're really happy that he spent some time with us this morning. Professor, thank you so much for those, those those kind words, just just as we had rehearsed it before the show. I appreciate that. And <laughs> Kevin, uh, thank you so much for joining us, too. We appreciate you taking uh, time this morning to talk about uh, what is a very serious legal issue for some folks during this time of year. 
uh, with so many people on the road, with holiday travel, with law enforcement, you know, taking extra steps to make sure we all stay safe. This is going to be, I think, a very helpful show for individuals who may find themselves out on the road and stopped by uh, by law enforcement. And so I would like to just go ahead and dive right in. And and we're going to start with, uh, you know, DUI defense. And under Mississippi law, could you just tell us a little bit about what it means uh, or under the law, when are you too intoxicated to operate a vehicle? Sure, Greg. Thanks for having me uh, on the show, and thanks, Richard, for the invitation. You know, the first thing I'd like to say is obviously there are lots of ways in modern America and even uh, in, in every town that we all live in to get around without driving when you've been drinking. So my, my number one piece of advice, as as it always is, is just don't drink and drive. But if you do find yourself in that position, so let's talk a little bit just about what the law says. Um, there are a few different categories of DUI that don't all just relate to alcohol. The ones that do relate to alcohol, um, specifically if you're over the age of 21 and you uh, blow over a .08, you would be over the limit. For a minor, that limit is much lower. It's a .02. Um, There's also a separate category for people who are operating commercial vehicles. Uh, The standard there is .04. I'm talking about the breath test. Of course, you can also get a DUI in other ways, um, specifically by consuming illegal drugs. Um, You can potentially get a DUI. And also legal drugs. Some people who have a prescription, um, certainly I've had cases in the past with prescription drugs that maybe somebody's abusing. So there are a few different ways um, to find yourself in that position, but obviously the most common is related to alcohol. And, and does a person who who may have been I'm just using the holiday parties as an example because that's just the, the timely part of the year. But do you always know uh, if you've been to a, a party and consumed a glass of wine or two? Do you know if you're too intoxicated to drive? No. Um, the the vast majority of people who find myself uh, find themselves in, in my office and are asking me about their circumstance of being arrested. You know, most everybody says to me, I thought I was fine to drive. Um, and what most people learn through this experience is that those limits I described earlier, the, the breath limits, are just much lower um, than you would think. Obviously, the standard is not that you're so intoxicated that you, you can't stand up or you're having a hard time moving around. You know, somebody that you would see at a party and identify, oh, that person is, is very drunk, that's not the standard for driving. It's, it's much lower than that to keep people safe in vehicles. Yeah, there are those uh, PSAs, uh, and I don't know if Mississippi runs them, but I know I've seen them that, you know, buzz driving is is drunk driving. That's right. Yeah. Well, let's get to the nitty-gritty. What does a a law enforcement officer have to see uh, in order to pull you over? Well, um, it could be practically anything. You know, um, a lot of DUIs are, are started with some improper driving or careless driving or something you know, when an officer can identify um, some violation of the traffic laws. Uh, but sometimes it's it's something pretty basic, like not having your headlights turned on um, or a tag light being out or a taillight being out that leads to the initial traffic stop. And then the officer discovers through some additional investigation, you know, talking to you at the window of your car, maybe, maybe it smells like alcohol. Um, and that's what leads to the DUI investigation. So... You know, not every case starts with 
somebody recklessly driving or carelessly driving, you know, like I was mentioning a minute ago about people who uh, may not think they're over the limit, you know, maybe they maybe they've got a headlight out, they get pulled over, and that's what leads to the DUI. I was uh, I was seated on a jury uh, a couple of years ago, uh, it, which was a, a drug case, and the, pro- the the cause that the officer had for pulling over the driver was his right side front tire hit the yellow line on the side of the road and swerved back in. And I forget what they called that yellow line, but yeah. that was sufficient to actually pull pull you over. Right, right. Um, you know the. In any case, obviously, one of the first things we look at is why did the officer pull you over? And, um, you know, I would suggest that hitting the line one time may not be enough of a reason. But typically what you'll see, and most most officers, at least particularly in this area, um, most vehicles have a dash cam and you can see what happens in these, these traffic stops later. As the lawyer, you can sit down with your client and you can review the stop. And a lot of those that are hitting the fog line or hitting the center line, um, you see that pretty repeatedly before the traffic stop has begun. Yep, fog line. That's what they called it. Uh, and, right. and they had challenged it, and the judge actually upheld that it was a, a legal stop. What about what about uh, uh, another way you can be stopped are roadblocks? Uh, and I, people always ask me, why are roadblocks legal? Can you talk a little bit about why law enforcement can do those? Sure. So um, the Fourth Amendment, that's a Fourth Amendment issue, and – you know, specifically, there's there's a lot of case law on this. There's a lot of history about roadblocks. And basically what it boils down to is um, an officer can't just randomly pull or choose to stop people at a roadblock. You know, it can't be a discretionary function. The Supreme Court has held that um, if you stop every car, you know, if law enforcement sets up a roadblock and they treat everybody the same, they stop every car, um, and these are these are public safety roadblocks. Um, what the Supreme Court has said is that if they're for a, a purpose, the primary purpose um, is something that supports um, public safety, uh, then they're allowed. And so typically what you'll see is that the roadblock is a roadblock that's set up for every car and that they're checking licenses and vehicle registration and DUIs that arise out of those. Or secondary now you know frankly I would say sometimes um, the circumstances of a roadblock may make you question that at times you know if, if they're setting them up at midnight only and not at noon um, obviously it seems to me like they're looking for something other than license and registration but the way the law is, is written is that as long as there's not discretion being executed and everybody is stopped and treated the same then they're legal. This morning, we're talking with Oxford attorney Kevin Fry about your legal rights when it comes to being stopped by law enforcement over this holiday season. If you have a question about this topic or any legal topic, call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Now, once the, the, the police officer has, has pulled you aside, whether on a roadblock or on a traffic stop, if, if you're the individual driving, what's, what's the first thing you should do? Well, what I tell everybody is you should be respectful, you should be nice, um, and you should be uh, as quiet as you can be and as, respond to the questions that are asked within reason and be respectful. Um, that's the first thing you should do. 
And they always ask for your license and registration when they come to your uh, driver's side window or sometimes your passenger side window. Uh, do you have to give it to them? Yes. Do you have to give them, what if they ask for something on your, uh, sitting on the passenger seat? Well, no, I mean, depending on what they're asking for. So, it, you know, if you have some kind of contraband or something in plain view, potentially, um, but they don't just have a right to search anything, for example, your cell phone or something like that, um, no, you don't necessarily have to give it to them. And one thing I think surprises people, but if the officer asks you to get out of your car just as part of a routine stop, do you have to get out of your car? Yes, there's a lot of case law on that, and it's an officer safety issue. Um, and the courts have found that you know officers, for for their safety, can ask you to step out of the vehicle. Um, so, yes, you, and, you do have to do that. And, and related to that, if you happen to have passengers in your car, in your passenger seat or in your back seat, if the officer asks them to get out, do they have to get out of the vehicle too? Yes. Yeah. And again, that goes back to the officer's safety. His officer uh, sometimes wanted to get better control of, of a potential scene, crime scene. Uh, well, we need to take our, our first break of the day. The first 15 minutes flew by fast. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Kevin Fry. If you'd like to join our conversation, call us, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org backslash In Legal Terms. You can also find it on the new MPB Media app. All of our MPB shows are available on the app. This morning, we're talking with Oxford attorney Kevin Fry about the legal issues you may face during this holiday season, including traffic stops and roadblocks. Uh, let's go ahead and get to the phone lines. We've got Jerry from Bay Springs. Jerry, good morning. Good morning. How are y'all? We're good. What's your question this morning? Uh, I've got a, a little story to tell. A few years back, I was uh, stopped at a roadblock, um, and it was run jointly by the highway patrol and the local deputies, I believe. And uh, I had just gotten off work. It was about 4 in the afternoon, and I was stone-cold sober. And um, the, uh, the officer who checked my license said he smelled something, and he wanted me he asked me very politely if I would blow in the tube. Now, at that point, I was in a bit of a quandary because I knew that if I refused him, then I was probably going to be pulled over to the side of the road and searched and all that stuff. And I didn't know if my brother-in-law might have left a, 
a beer bottle in the back seat or a crack pipe or something like that. So I just went ahead and blew in the tube, and, of course, it was zero. And uh, I just felt like my my right to refuse was was uh, stepped on in that case, that, uh, that the, the founding fathers would just be turning over, spinning in their graves if they knew that, that uh, police could search your breath or your blood. And um, I'd just like some comments on that, and, and I'll hang up and listen to your answer. Thank you. Sure. That's a good qu- question, Jerry. And it's something that comes up quite regularly, really. You know, the, we, you, you asked some questions a minute ago about, um, you know, if, if law enforcement asks you to do something, do you have to do it? And I said yes to those questions. But specifically as relates to a request to give um, a breath sample or a, recre- a request to do a field sobriety test, you absolutely have the right to say no. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about this a little later, but you, you probably ought to in, in a lot of cases. But, you know, when you're sober, as as the caller has described, knowing that you haven't had anything to drink, um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the easiest way to get out of that is to do what you did and comply and move along. But he's right that certainly that was not a request that um, he had to comply with. Um, well, Jerry, if it makes you feel any better, one time I had had a milkshake from uh, a, I won't name the, the company. That's probably what I shouldn't do that. But, and I was stopped by a police officer at a, at a roadblock and he made me get out and say my ABCs to prove to him that I was sober. But at, at that point, um, I just decided, you know, Hey, I, I'm just going to do this. I can do my ABCs. I was a little worried. I might be nervous and screw up, but, um, yeah, so it does happen. But I think sometimes, um, you know, when we drive a car, it is a, a privilege, to be able to drive a car, we, we give up a little, some of our rights. I mean, stop signs make us stop and, and, uh, you know, we have to wear seatbelts, things like that. So, uh, you know, police officers have a tough job and, and, uh, I always, always just comply with their request. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I will say about those handheld, you know, side of the road breath tests, typically they're not, the result of them is not admissible in court, um, specifically because those machines are not, um, very accurate you know they they are accurate in the sense that they generally will have a reading of alcohol or no alcohol but when it comes down to specifically how much is in your system the courts have found that they're not reliable enough for admissibility kevin in your experience uh if you refuse uh the roadside breathalyzer what are the odds that the police officer then is going to take you uh and and book you well they're pretty high you know if if law enforcement asks you to to do something and you say no, um, then I, the odds are pretty high that, that they're going to want to investigate further, that they may say, well, you know, his refusal want, you know, led me to investigate a little further. But I do want to be clear about this. It's, it's not a requirement mm-hmm. that you blow. Mm-hmm. You don't have to give that evidence against yourself. It's yeah. not a requirement that you do field sobriety when asked. And, and, you don't and, have to. In the long term, it could be better for your defense if you don't. Sure, sure. Yeah. That's right. Well, we've got another. Jerry, thank you uh, for that call. We've got another call. It is uh, Jim. Jim, uh, good morning. Good morning. I got, I'm enjoying the program. I, my question is, can you hear me? I'm on, a, I'm on a Mississippi Hill right now. Oh, yes, sir. We can hear you. <laughs> okay. This is what I tell my children. If, if 
they see a flashing light, particularly at night, or in an area where that's not very populated, that they should not stop but call 911 and explain that they're going to go the speed limit to someplace public and well-lit uh, before they stop. Given everything that's happened uh, between police officers, uh, uh, frankly, shooting young black men, is that bad advice, or will that get them in trouble with the police? I mean, calling 911 and staying on the line on 911 while they're doing this. Uh, what's your uh, advice? And I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, thanks, Jim. That's a good question. And I've actually had that conversation with some of our local law enforcement. They understand people's um, trepidation at times, particularly at night in, in a situation that you've described um, in a in a place where there's nobody around. And so I think that advice is good advice, specifically the part to call 911, um, you know, you do run the risk, obviously, of potentially escalating, you know, at least if, if you don't call 911 or if you're speeding or you're moving along. Um, typically in that scenario, what's going to happen is that officer is going to call for backup, and by the time you find a place to stop, you may have more than one law enforcement officer um, pulling over to see what's going on. But I don't think that's bad advice at all. Today we're talking with Oxford attorney Kevin Fry about your legal rights when it comes to being stopped by law enforcement over this holiday season. We'd love for you to join our conversation. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Kevin, to follow up with that uh, question, it, it's good advice to do that. What if, in particularly, if it's an unmarked police car, because that's where we see a lot of the national headlines coming forward. Would, would you recommend that someone do that? Yeah, there's no reason why you can't go to a public place that's well lit and stop there. Um, you know, if if you're following the traffic laws, if you're not endangering people, um, I don't think that's bad advice, you know. Well, let's get back to the phones. Thank you so much for that last call. We have a Brian. Brian, good morning. Hey, how you doing? Just fine this morning. What's your question? Uh Mine is about uh, concealed carry or open carry. Um, if you have a gun in your vehicle with you and you get pulled over, um, is the best thing to do is just, just not say anything or inform him. I mean, you know, I don't want to inform him, have him freaking out, you know, pulling a gun on you. That's a great question. Yeah, so I've had that question pretty regularly, and I've had a variety of cases where where people have had guns in their in their car um i would say that that's kind of a fact specific question so if i've got it sitting on the front seat or if it's in open view obviously i want to make sure the officer knows where it is um if it's maybe in the glove box or if it's in the if, if it's in a place that they can't see it um you know you don't want to run the risk of escalating a situation un unnecessarily if you're pulled over and it's a speeding ticket and he's going to write you your ticket and go on your way i'm not sure it's necessary to mention that you've got a gun in the trunk or something but um if it's somewhere where, where he can see it and he sees it or she sees it and you haven't informed him i think there's a risk of of them being more nervous um and so you may just ask in that scenario, I think something that would be prudent would just to say, would it be okay if I step out of the vehicle while we have this conversation? Um, and if, once you're out of the vehicle. If you step out of the vehicle, is, is that 
are you being detained at that time? Well, you're being detained once you've been pulled over. Right. You've been detained once you've been pulled over. And, you know, like we said earlier in the program, um, the officer does have the ability to get you out of the vehicle during that stop. And so it may just be wise to say, can I step out of the vehicle, close the door, and then after you're out of the car, say, I do have a concealed carry permit and my my gun is in the car and then you've you've kind of diffused the situation because it's no longer in your reach right and so the officer may not be so nervous at that time gotcha thank you man appreciate it brian thank you thank you for that call Uh, kevin just to follow up with that if uh if you did have a weapon in your trunk uh, that you did not want to disclose for, for whatever reason what is the standard a police officer needs to meet before he can search your entire car well, that's that's a fact-specific question as well. So you you can't just search the vehicle for any reason. Um, typically, the, the cases that I see where a vehicle's been searched is when there's been um, some suspicious activity. You know, the officer will testify, well, I saw them, you know, as I pulled them over, rummaging around the car, bending over. It looked like they were trying to hide something. Or I got to the window of the car and I smelled marijuana, as an example. You know, those would lead to a search of the vehicle. And then, two, you know, the courts have, have allowed the law enforcement to search a vehicle incident to arrest, which essentially means if you're being arrested and your car is going to be towed, they can search it and, and do an inventory search of the vehicle. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say you have to disclose that there's something in your trunk if you're pulled over and getting a speeding ticket. But if you're getting taken to the jail, um, you may expect that they'll find it. Well, let's try to get to one more call before we have to take a break. We have Chris on the line. Chris, good morning. Good morning. Hello. Uh, thanks. I'm enjoying the program this morning. Um, my question is, I'd like to see if uh, you can address the subject of prescription drugs, uh, specifically narcotics, someone that has a legal prescription uh, for physician who taken narcotics and uh, how that driving, taking it as prescribed. Okay. I mean, I've been told, you can actually, that that's a great question, Chris. Sure, and I, I missed a little bit of the question, but basically what I heard was, about prescription drugs being taken as prescribed. And so the if you read a prescription, you know, any of these bottles that you get, you're going to see on there a lot of times it says, you know, caution or, or I forget exactly what the label says, but operating heavy machinery, you know, we've all had a prescription that says something like that. And so, you know, what I have found in those cases, if you have a legal prescription, um, that is one of the defenses, specifically if you're taking it as um prescribed. However, uh, you know, you can still have a situation, and I've had these before, where somebody is impaired. Um, Usually it's based on having some other substance along with that prescription. Uh, It could be alcohol or it could be uh, something else. Or you've taken a prescription not as prescribed. But um, for those folks who do have a prescription to a narcotic and they're taking it as prescribed, you know, it's, it's pretty rare for them to find themselves in a situation um, of getting a DUI. 
We need to take our next break for the day, but when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Kevin Fry about what to do if you're stopped by law enforcement during this holiday season or any other legal issues that may be on your mind. To join our conversation, give us a call, 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. We're talking today with Oxford attorney Kevin Fry about what to do if you find yourself stopped by law enforcement during this holiday season. And we're going to stick with the phone lines. We have uh, Jerry on the phone. Jerry, good morning. Good morning to you. My question is this. Uh, I do a lot of hiking along uh, trails and, and roads in, in national forests and national parks, and no matter how far back I go, you can find empty bottles of alcohol. So my question is, what exactly is an open container in a vehicle? If it's not within the reach of a driver, because I'd rather see people just not drink and drive at all, but if, they, if they're doing it, not litter. So so what is what is a way, I mean, you understand my question? If it's not within the reach of a driver, is it open container? If it's empty, is it open container? If it's in the tailgate of a truck, is it open container? If it's in a back seat? I'd, I'd like to answer that. I have that question answered. Great question. Yeah, that is a good question. Um, and, and it's a fact-specific question, really. So I agree with you. One of the one of the things Richard mentioned earlier is I'm also a county supervisor, and littering is just a huge problem. And um, it's pretty evident that there are certain folks that like to drive around and drink and throw their cans out the window. I wish they wouldn't as well. Um, I guess my answer to that would be, you know, if, if you've got – if you've gone hiking and you've been out um, and you put everything in a trash bag and put it in your trunk, I don't think that's going to fit the definition of open container. You may still get a DUI if you've been drinking that day and have them. Um, but typically, you know, most most jurisdictions that have an open container law, you know, what they're looking for is somebody that's been drinking while they're driving down the road. And that's pretty evident um, when you see it. You know, here in Oxford we've got um, – and maybe lots of other places in the state have this too. We've got a, a gas station that's started selling uh, daiquiris, and kind of the rule on that is it's an open container when you put the straw in to the container, um, and not until then. So it, you know, like I said, it's it's pretty fact specific depending on how the officer perceived what's going on. And I know that's not a a black and white answer, but some of these things don't have those kind of answers. And, and Kevin, would you agree that the best thing then is just not to have uh, an alcoholic beverage in your reach 
while you're driving. It, it, That's right. Yeah, if it's in your reach, you're you're going to lose that argument most every time. Jerry, thank you uh, for that call. Now, obviously, in Mississippi, if you're the driver, you you can't drink alcohol. But if you're a passenger, could you have an open container uh, and drink uh, while you're being driven? That's a question I get all the time, and I'll tell you that that's a there's not a state statute that specifically deals with that. Lots of local jurisdictions do have open container laws, and so here, um, you know, the city of Oxford has a, a rule that relates to that, an ordinance, and you can't have an open container. So that's a that's a location specific. Um, question, and I would suggest to you that it's just probably not a good idea. Um, you know, if you're the driver, it's probably not a good idea to let your passengers uh, drinks simply because if you do get pulled over, even if you haven't been drinking, um, there's going to be a lot of suspicion, and you're going to have to get out and find yourself in the situation our earlier caller found himself in of you're going to have to blow in this to to keep on driving down the road. Um, so not a good idea to have open containers. Kevin, I've had people ask me if, if what's you, nobody has had any alcohol consumed, but or if you had it was you had one glass, but you want to take a half empty bottle of wine home, or sure. a half if, if you have the if you have a half empty bottle in your car, it's tops on it. Is that considered open container? Um, there's a state law that allows you to take things home. So um, if you're at a restaurant or somewhere like that, often what they will do, they'll put the cork back in the bottle, and then they'll put it in a sealed bag of some sort, a bag that can seal so that it's clear that this came from the restaurant. If you're at a friend's house and you're bringing your bottle home with you, um, I think what I would do is put the cork back in and put it in the trunk or put it in a place that's not within reach so that I don't have to deal with that um, question. This morning, we're talking with Oxford attorney Kevin Fry about what to do if you are stopped by law enforcement. Give us a call if you have a question at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We did get somebody email a question in and or comment. But I'm going to put it in the form of a question. If if you are stopped by law enforcement, is it a good idea to put your arms outside of the window? Uh, I don't think that's necessary. I think it's a good idea to have your arms in a place and your hands, particularly in a place that's visible, whether that's on the steering wheel or, um, you know, in your lap, out the window. You know, they may ask you to do that, but I don't think that's necessary. Uh, if you feel like it's something that you want to do, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. But I think the steering wheel is just, just as good a place. We've talked a lot about what happens when you're stopped. Let's talk about now what happens if the officer wants to place you under arrest uh, and take you, as they say, downtown. What, what happens after that? A, a lot of people are curious. Once you've, you've been stopped, they, they find that they have cause to detain you and take you in. What's the process? Well, for DUIs specifically, the first thing that typically happens is when you get to the station or to the jail or wherever their processing facility is, they want to ask you to take the intoxilizer test. That's the machine, the breath machine, that um, is an admissible uh, result in court. And those machines are not generally portable. So those that's generally the first question that gets asked is, will you take this test? Um, and then, you know, the booking process is a photograph and fingerprints and some other information that they get before they place you in a holding cell. Um, when they... When book, they when they take you back to the, the, the more static equipment, do you have to take that breathalyzer test? No, you don't. You do not. And, again, as I explained earlier, I, I think there's um, a lot of reasons 
to refuse, you know, that's evidence that you're giving that will be used against you in court. Um, you know, the, the reasons to refuse are many, but I will say this, if you do refuse that intoxilizer test, you know, the, the law is, it's an implied consent state as as all states are and, and what that basically means is when you get your driver's license you are consenting to take a test if you're asked and so when you refuse to take that test there is a penalty that comes with it and it's a license suspension penalty um and so that's a that's a call you've got to make but you know is it worth me having my license suspended to refuse this test or you know if i blow in the machine i get to keep my license at least until I get to court and, and the judge convicts me because I blew over the limit. Um, and then you may lose your license anyway in the end. We, we've got another uh, question that was emailed to us, and it has to do with these sort of drive-through daiquiri shops. Uh, mm-hmm. And they, uh, the question is, how can the law allow you to do that? <laughs> yeah, I, I was curious. You know, the first one that, that we had in Oxford really was this fall was the first uh, it's not necessarily a drive-through. It's a gas station that sells these daiquiris, and um, I, so I called and I spoke with one of our uh, alcohol beverage control officers about it. And what he explained to me is that the, you know, it's a it's a malt. It's not a liquor-based product. It's a beer-based product. Um, so his explanation was it's not much different than going in and buying a six-pack of Bud Light or Miller Light. Um, you know, you buy this daiquiri, and as long as you're not drinking it in the vehicle. And as I said earlier, as long as you're not, don't put the straw in, that, that they considered it similar to buying a six-pack and taking it home. Mm. Um, it's all about just how it's defined. That's right. That's mm. right. Uh, let's get back to uh, after you've been, you've been booked. You talked about the fingerprints, a photo. When, when should you ask for a lawyer? Well, you should ask for a lawyer at, at your first opportunity, I think. Um, you know, typically my response to that would be as soon as they start asking you questions, your response should be, no, I'd like to speak to a lawyer before I answer any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, realistically, though, the the first time that most people get to speak to a lawyer is after they've gotten out of the jail, after they've gotten out of the um, – after they've been through the booking process and bailed out. <laughs> do, do you always get that sort of one phone call you see on TV? Yeah, there's been a long tradition of that, and the Supreme Court, um, we've got some new criminal rules in the state of Mississippi this year, and the, the court has uh, made that a, a an explicit rule that, yes, you're to get one phone call or uh, another reasonable means to contact somebody so that they know you're in the jail. We're talking with Oxford attorney Kevin Fry about what to do if you're stopped and arrested by law enforcement over this holiday season. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call at one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Now, if you're stopped for a DUI, uh, particularly in the evenings, are you guaranteed that you're going to spend the night in jail, or are there other alternatives there? Every jurisdiction has has their own policies, but it doesn't have to be all night. You know, usually there's a sobering up period of some sort, you know, five, six hours, four hours, something like that, um, before they'll let you bail out. Uh, you do have uh, the state law is another one of these rules I was explaining 48 hours um, to see a judge and so if you haven't seen a judge within 48 hours then they have violated your rights basically but most jurisdictions have you certainly wouldn't stay there nearly that long Uh, most jurisdictions have a a standard schedule uh, of bond fees and you know after four hours or six hours or whatever their time frame is They'll let it, go ahead and let you bond out for a, a price that 
or for a, an amount that everybody gets offered without having to see a judge. Do you have a sense of what generally that would be, like, say, in Lafayette County? Right. So there's a guideline range in these new criminal rules, and it's between 500 and $2,000 for a DUI. Um, in Oxford, uh, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of $1,300 for a typical DUI to get bonded out. And you, and you had mentioned you, you will typically see a judge within the, the first 48 hours or so. What, what are you doing when they take you to see the judge? What's the judge doing, I should say? Well, right. So if you're in custody, that 48-hour rule applies, and you're seeing a judge for an initial appearance, and the judge is then just explaining to you what your rights are and setting a bond. A lot of places don't go to that step. You know, They don't make you go to see a judge for an initial appearance. They just go ahead and bond you out. Um, like I said, after four hours or six hours or whatever it is. And then in that situation, your first time you see a judge would be an arraignment day, the court date on your ticket the first time that you're required to be in court for the offense. Well, something we said has lit up the phone lines. We've got several coming in. I'm going to try to take one before our break. Let's try to do uh, Kathy. Kathy, good morning. Hi. Good morning. What's your How question? How are you guys doing? We're just fine. Okay. I got a real question here. I was told you cannot carry prescription drugs in your vehicle with you when you travel from state to state. I live in Mississippi, but I travel a lot to Louisiana. Yeah, that's not true. If you have a prescription and it's got your name on it, you can take it from state to state. Um, my advice would be to keep it in the bottle that it's prescribed to you in, um, but certainly there's no, there's nothing illegal about that. Kathy, did that answer your question? even though they're narcotic. Right. If it's a prescription and it's got your name on it and it's a narcotic, yeah, you can travel with it. The doctor has prescribed it for you to take. Uh, and if, if you're traveling, if you're outside your house, you're still supposed to take the medicine. Is that right? Yes. That's right. Kathy, thank you so much for that call. And we're going to need to take our final break for the day when we come back. Dorothy and Mike will get to your calls. And we're going to continue our conversation with Oxford attorney Kevin Fry. There's still time for you to join us. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. We're talking today with Oxford attorney Kevin Fry. We're going to go right back to the phones. We have Dorothy and Ridgeland. Dorothy, good morning. Good morning. I uh, was listening to your show and the discussion about the guns and the car and the policemen and all um, that situation. I'm wondering why the state did not require a sticker be placed on those vehicles with those concealed weapons or if you are the carrier of a gun. Would that not solve some of this problem as to which vehicles have guns and which ones do not? 
Dorothy, that's a great question. Kevin, does the law require that you put something on your car uh, if you're a licensed gun owner? No, it, it doesn't. Uh, that's not a bad idea, I, I expect. I would I would say to you probably law enforcement's response, my guess, just having talked to a lot of these guys over the years, would be that that'd be nice and all, but when they walk up to a vehicle, whether it had a sticker on it or not, they've got to assume for their safety that every car could potentially have a weapon in it. And so I'm not sure... I'm not sure that would diffuse all these situations that we see happening, uh, but it's not a bad idea. Uh, maybe we should. Maybe somebody from the legislature is listening. <laughs> well, we've, we've had a lot of calls coming in. Let's go to uh, Anthony in Hollandale. Anthony, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys this morning? We're fine this morning. What's your question? Well, it's actually more of a comment. Uh, just something that my dad used to tell me. Uh, always seem to make pretty good sense uh, uh, uh i live in a rural area and we do have traffic stops from time to time around our area but one of the things i do and everywhere pulled over at night if anything's going on the first thing i do is turn on my interior lights and put my hands on the steering wheel and it just kind of uh, lets the officer know that i don't have anything to hide and a lot of times i've been told by officers that they kind of put them at ease they can see inside the car easily uh you know they know there's nothing that's going to jump out at them and Sometimes that can kind of save your life. It kind of kind of ratchets things down a little bit. I think that's great advice. Absolutely. Yeah, it, and Anthony, thank you for that call. Kevin, I think it's a theme that we've heard all uh, throughout the hours to, to be cooperative and to do what the officer says. Is that Sure, fair? it is. Yeah, you know, absolutely, and I think that's always good advice. That's advice I give. And then, you know, the only caveat to that, I would say, is just that, you should always be cooperative, and, and, you know, most people don't have anything to hide. Um, however, if you have been drinking, and that's kind of what we're talking about, uh, being cooperative should not necessarily extend to agreeing to do the breath test or agreeing to do the field sobriety test because what you're doing in that situation is you're giving them the evidence voluntarily that they will use later to convict you in court. And so... Um, you know, I think always being cooperative is good advice, but but within limits. That's right. <laughs> Anthony, thank you uh, for that call. Let's now go to uh, Jim in Corinth. Jim, good morning. Good morning. What's your question this morning? Well, we were talking earlier about <clears throat> a woman uh, all in about uh, driving with uh, particular medications and so forth into Louisiana. My question is, if you are on an occasional pain medication uh, on a temporary basis but still have the bottle with you, and it's a narcotic like an opioid or something like that, is that illegal? No. To have it with you, no, it's not illegal. What what happens a lot of times is that people will take a prescription, a narcotic or something that can be illegal um, without a prescription, and they'll put it in a different container it won't be in in the or they'll have somebody else's prescription that's when you're going to get into trouble but if it's got your name on it and if it's your prescription i don't think you have any reason to be nervous about it being in the vehicle with you um, law enforcement can easily check that if they need to jim did that answer your question no my, my question really is if i have that prescription with me and i have taken one but i have to drive is it illegal since it's a narcotic Oh, no, no, no. So 
No, it's not illegal to take a prescription medicine and drive. It's illegal in that situation. You know, what's, what it's going to come down to is are you impaired, right? And so um, if you have taken that medication and it has led to you being unable to drive um, or not drive well, and I've had some cases, usually it's somebody that's taken much more than the prescribed dose or taken the prescription along with some other medication. Um, but no, it's not illegal to drive after having taken what was prescribed to you. Um, although, you know, I would say some people have some pretty bad reactions to medicine. And so if you're one of those people that you take what the doctor, the doctor has prescribed to you and it makes you a little loopy or, or whatever term you want to use, you should probably think twice about driving. But it's not illegal to do that. No. And, and Kevin, how do the how do how do law enforcement measure if it's a if it's a prescription drug? Is it the same kind of a, a, a blood alcohol kind of a test? How do they measure if you're too intoxicated? Uh, with some standard, um, you know, the question in those cases is is the person impaired? And so, what the courts are going to look to are, are facts that would lead to a determination that you were impaired. So, what could those things be? It could include being unsteady on your feet. It could include slurred speech or um, some visible impairment. It could also be your, your driving. If, if your driving is erratic and they pull you over and it turns out it's this prescription medicine that you took that's led to that, you know, that can be evidence of impairment. And really all we're trying to do is keep people safe on the roads with this law. Um, it, it doesn't mean you can't take your prescription necessarily. Jim, thank you so much for that call. Uh, now I want to sort of move forward. You've, we've, we've talked about being stopped. We've talked about what happens when you're booked. We've talked about making bail. Let's talk uh, uh, briefly in the, in the little time we have left about the trial. If you do go to a DUI trial, what's the, the kind of evidence or proof that, that you would see if, you, if you're actually contesting it uh, and, and take it to a trial? Sure. The evidence is usually everything you said and everything you did, um, you know, these days with, with cameras, um, dash cam and body cam videos, oftentimes there's some video of the traffic stop. And then the, the evidence that's used most often in any DUI case is the breath test result or the absence of one. You know, did you take the test or not? If you did and you're over the limit, the courts have held that that's evidence pretty much enough to convict you right there. Um, then... Field sobriety, you know, if you did the field sobriety, there's standard things we're looking for, and, and there's some basic um, fundamental things that we're looking for on those tests and how you performed them. But, and, and that's interesting. The refusal to take the breath test can be used to incriminate you, is it? Well, no, not not the refusal necessarily. Is The judge is going to hear that you refused, okay. but that's not going to be used necessarily to incriminate you, no. Okay. Uh, and then if, if you are convicted, uh, could you sort of generally talk about what are the uh, uh, sentences? You know, what's the punishment you face? Sure. Um, a DUI first, um, the legislature a couple of years ago made what I think is a very good decision to allow for people in a first offense DUI situation. Um, most folks have the eligibility for what's called non-adjudication. And so, you know, every DUI conviction, there are fines, there are court costs, um, there are some classes that are required um, for you to take. You would potentially lose your license or um, have to have an interlock-restricted uh, machine put on your car. But 
potentially for a first offense you can keep it off your record in the long term if you comply with all those things and as you can hear from the music that's going to be a wrap for us today for in legal terms we very much appreciate oxford attorney kevin fry for joining us to hear today's show or a previous show visit mpbonline.org slash in legal terms or you can download the mpb media app and listen on your smart device on demand our board engineer and producer today was michelle mcadoo for professor richard gershon i'm greg mayer Up next is Relatively Speaking. Join us again next Tuesday at 10 for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.